It's Monday, June 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool 1, Jason Moser, and for Motley Fool Pro and Motley Fool Options, Jeff Fisher. Happy Monday, gentlemen. Yo, happy Monday. Happy first day of June. Is oh, it, yeah. Is it time to say sell in June and go away? Because the people who are saying sell in May and go away, that didn't, more, didn't work out. I don't know. I like buy in June because thanks to Bernanke, stocks will go to the moon. Oh, nice. Yeah, and a, a year goes by so quickly. Why bother yeah. buying yeah. or selling? Just own, yeah. own, own, own. Just own. Uh, buy on the dip. <laughs> we're going to talk dividend stocks. Uh, Cracker Barrel reported some tasty earnings. And uh, talk about an industry that we rarely, if ever, talk about, and that's the hotel industry and, and some interesting news out of New York City on that. Um, but let's start with dividend stocks because it's a big story in the Wall Street Journal today. And Jason, in a nutshell, it has been as great a run as it's been for the market in general over the last year or so, and particularly in 2013. It's been a phenomenal run for dividend stocks, and I'm talking about the big ones, uh, Microsoft, Procter & Gamble, etc. And now it has a lot of investors asking, okay, now what do we do? And what does this mean for people who are looking to the big dividend stocks to generate income? Because as we've talked about before, uh, it's really not a good time to own bonds. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that's been a legitimate question. It's one we've addressed for a, pretty much the better part of the year thus far, is that just with, with no other options out there, the stock market is the place to go. And for people looking for any kind of a return uh, on that investment, it, similar to something that a bond might yield, I mean, bonds are obviously doing nothing, so they start chasing dividend stocks. And, and it's been the kind of market where you can chase virtually any dividend stock and do pretty well. I mean, I was looking... I was looking the the other day at a chart. This doesn't really have a lot to do with dividend stocks, but I think it'll it'll oh, sort of by all it means, lends go itself on. <laughs> it lends itself to the environment that we're in. In that I was looking at a chart year to date of Radio Shack, Best Buy, and H H Gregg, all three of which are just spanking the market to date, and that's that's significant because those are three not very good companies, right? And so it's basically that rising tide that's lifting all of these boats and dividend stocks, especially. And and then when you see the news out there that we're, we're going to start talking at least about taking the foot off the gas here and, and reeling in that quantitative easing. Then all of a sudden, rates go back up. Bonds maybe look a little bit more attractive. They are up a little bit. Rates are up a little bit here recently. And so these really steady reliables like utilities and even telecoms uh, and even home builders took took a little bit of a dip last week uh, because of of what what I would just say is uncertainty at this point. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot for your options expertise, um, uh, which gives me the chance to make a shameless plug. Um, for uh, Motley Fool Options, one of the services you run um, is open for a short amount of time. Yes. We have a, uh, <laughs> a, a free website for anyone looking to uh, dip their toe in the options waters. It's just optionswiz.com. That's whiz with an H, so optionswiz, W-H-I-Z, dot com. Um, when you look at these big dividend stocks, and we were talking this morning about this, um, General Mills, Cisco Systems, Microsoft, uh, stocks which, particularly in the case of Microsoft, and I know this as, as formerly a longtime shareholder, that just lay dormant for years on end and then just popped all of a sudden, that can't possibly last. I think if you're, if, if you're a shareholder of these companies, you have to be grateful for the run that they've had over the last six months. But if you take a step back and think, well, wait a minute, what 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 is going on with these stocks? Again, not the business, to, to Jason's point, but the stock. Is there an options move that is even more attractive now as a result of this? Yeah, Chris. So stepping back a bit, 
seeing these stocks run lately, it, it felt like the end of a long bull market run. Not to say that the next thing is a, a great crash, but just there was some panic buying that took place. And it may make sense for a lot of, a lot of these stocks, big dividend payers especially, to take a long breather. Of course, they'll keep paying you a yield. And a few things to keep in mind are, one, that option, or I'm sorry, dividends have made up a, a majority of the stock market's returns since the 20s or even going back further. So just because some people are selling out of dividend stocks now doesn't mean it's right. But what you can do with options is enhance your dividend yield greatly. And a lot of times, a lot of cases, you can double or triple it by, in this case, if you own a, a big behemoth like General Mills or Cisco, you could write or sell covered calls against your shares. So say Cisco is 23, for argument's sake, I haven't looked today. You might sell a $25 call option and get paid, say, a dollar per share doing that. And that's a great yield right there. And if you do that a few times a year, it really adds up to a lot of yield. A lot of retirees, a lot of income investors use options like this, covered calls, to make 10, 10% a year annualized more or less on good stocks and still have upside and collect the dividend as well. So, yes, options are a great, great way to create your own yield, your own dividend. And Motley Fool Options is open for just uh, just a couple days, opening today. So go to that optionswiz.com website to learn more about it. We have a whole guide there about covered calls. I, I'd like to talk about dividends some more if, if we are Absolutely. still on the topic. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think one of, one of the things I was – Looking at over over reading this news is you know the consumer spending makes up about seventy percent of of our overall economy. So I mean it's it's understandable why we like those consumer based stocks, those consumer based companies because they're just a reliable um, instead of just chasing any dividend yield and more of those you know stable players like utilities and uh, telecoms and things like that. I I I think it's worth looking for some of your consumer based companies, things like a Home Depot or a Procter and Gamble, which uh, benefit obviously from consumer spending. Um, they are stalwarts in their markets. They generate a lot of cash and they have healthy yields in the wherewithal to support those yields and raise those yields over time. And the stocks themselves offer some nice upside for longer term investors. I mean, I, those are, those are also stocks that are not necessarily cheap today, right. but I think they're great ones to keep an eye on and consider holding onto for longer periods of time because of that consumer exposure. Yeah. And, Let's talk about the bond market for a minute. Uh, I think the largest market in the world, it, it dwarfs the stock market in sure. value. So what's it, what's going on there is amusing to, to slap that word on to this giant market. <laughs> Interest rates are going up because bondholders are selling. There is even some panic selling there because they're afraid that rates are going to go higher, so their current bond is going to be worth less. So as interest rates in the bond market go up, some dividend stock-owning investors are selling those Stocks to buy these bonds, so you're just seeing people swap with one another. I was going to say that sounds like a mistake. Yeah, you have a lot of people getting out of bonds because they think rates are going to go much higher. And then you have these other people selling stock because rates on bonds have just gone up a little bit. But over the over the history I was of bonds, say, the ten-year Treasury. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think it has gone from just in the last month or so from something like 1.6 1.7% to 2.1 a lot yeah i mean so oh so on absolute terms it's a lot but on historical terms it's still incredibly low yeah. it's just that everything was stretched to such an extreme that uh it looks like a big move but it really shouldn't change your whole investment strategy let's move on to uh, cracker barrel third quarter profits rose 
thirty percent. I don't know about you, Jason. That struck me as a very large <laughs> number. It was certainly <laughs> higher than people were expecting. Uh, yeah. Shares up this morning. Uh, it's hovering around that 52-week high. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you look at the you look at the last five years of, of sales for for Cracker Barrel, and, and they're not they're not just taken off. I mean, they've they've improved their top line a little bit over the last five years. So sales continue to grow slowly. Um, I think that. Uh, Sardar Biglari, who's who's taking a, a, a very activist uh, role in, in Cracker Barrel, is is encouraging them to really focus on bringing those savings down to the bottom line. So you look at operating margins and and net margins over over the past three years. I think he's been in there since around 2011, and you can see some incremental improvements there on the margin line. So the company is becoming more profitable. He's encouraging them to return more cash to shareholders in the form of dividends, and then to top it all off, you have the prospect here. I think that the board. From everything I can see, at least, uh, is is kind of getting sick of him, and so there's this prospect of them <laughs> buying him out of here. They, I think, they really want to try to figure out a way to sort of mitigate um, his activism, so to speak. And so there's the prospect, at least, of of them buying some of those shares or all of those shares to, to get him sort of out of the picture and, and back into really full control of the company. I mean, whether that happens or not, who knows? But but those are the types of catalysts that could send a stock like Cracker Barrel up. I mean, it's it's not like a you know, an, an earth-shattering company, right? I mean, it's it's just slow-cooked food off the interstate. But unless I saw the wrong number, the number I saw this morning was that Big Lari Holdings has a 20% stake yeah. in Cracker Barrel. I mm-hmm. mean, if they're looking to buy him out and reduce his influence, that's going to cost them a lot of money, it's isn't it? And, a lot. It's, and it's going to retire a lot of shares, which is what a lot of people are hoping. The, the stock trades at about 19 times earnings, but if you if you take away potentially 20% of shares, clearly you're much lower multiple. It's uh, it, it's just been a... He's done a good job uh, making them improve their margins, get more traffic through the doors. It, it's a concept that never really struck home with me. I, I might stop the, what, the Cracker Barrel to. concept? Cracker, yes, yes, I'm sorry to they do have, change gears. But. I mean, at least on the East Coast, it seems to me, and I've never actually stopped in and eaten there, but it seems like they have really good real estate on the East Coast. And I, I think, but Jeff makes a great point. I think that they are they are capped in their market opportunity. I mean, I, I have eaten that in one In terms before. of the efficiencies that he's... Well, no, I just don't think, in the, in the terms of number of stores that they can open, the number of restaurants that they can open, they have great real estate. They're right off the interstates where people want to stop and maybe get something a little bit better than just your fast food. But I don't think they have a market where they can say they have some, you know, 600 or so stores open a day. They're not in a situation where they could double that footprint over the course of the next 10 or 20 years. Right. It's just a limited market, I think, in what they have to begin with. I think that's right. It's 600-some yeah. stores in 42 states, and they're large stores because they're part retail, part uh, restaurant. Oh, yeah, they sell furniture yep. and music, yeah, which, it's an which when you when I, it is an, And their revenue per square foot is not that great. It's not approaching what Tiffany and Apple do in <laughs> no, their <no>. stores? <laughs> <laughs> not quite. So, you know, uh, hey, I haven't owned it, and it's done really well. Mm. Uh, trades at nine times. EBITDA, so it's still reasonably priced. And, I, uh, that's the point of an activist investor. If you see your icons and your big lorries, they can get in there and do that kind of stuff. But when you when you jump in on something like that, I mean, if you're investing based on an activist investor, you need to realize that sword can cut both ways. And this this time, it's it's done pretty well, but it's not always not always that way. I, Wait, what year would you guys guess they were founded, Cracker Barrel? I would guess the 30s. I have no idea. Yeah, I was thinking something like the mid 70s. Yeah, 1969. Yeah. Same, wow, so same year as the Gap. I 
wasn't even close. No, um, but I like the, I like the '30s answer because it kind of has an antiquated <laughs> feel. feel to it. Well, the that's brand. and that's because the official name of the company when you go and you quote the the stock when you type in the tipper, ticker, uh, the official name of the company is Cracker Barrel Old Country Store. Old mm. Country Store. Yeah. So just, well, we're getting old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm 69 is old. Uh, before we wrap up with our final story, I want to mention something I mentioned on Motley Fool Money last weekend, which is that. Uh, uh, the Motley Fool Money Radio Show is now part of the American Forces Radio Network. Um, nice. On, yes, on over a thousand outlets, uh, 177 countries around the world, and most of the U.S. Navy ships at sea. We are part of the Voice Channel on American Forces Radio Network. So very. That's great. Very uh, happy about that, and know we've got some uh, some military men and women uh, listening to Market Foolery. So um, that's great. So please spread the word, and uh, special thanks to uh, one of our dozens of listeners, Major Mitch Rubin. Steen, uh, who's based down at Quantico, um, uh, who uh, came to visit us earlier in the year, and it was a conversation with him that uh, led me to reach out to the people at AFN. So, uh, so thank you to Major Mitch Rubenstein. I'm actually heading down to Quantico this weekend, by the way. It's it's the annual run amok race, three and a half miles, twenty obstacles. So I may not be here next Monday. That's 20, obstacles. 20 obstacles. So you don't really have a time goal in, in a race like this. No, it's not I, your I don't have a time goal so much as I have a survival goal. <laughs> do, you have, do you have your emergency contacts in order? I do. I was telling someone this weekend, this is the one race per year that I do that I actually fill out the emergency yeah, the contact <laughs> information on the back of my racing bibs. And like, Jason, you're number three. So. <laughs> I'm here for you, Chris. I'm here for you. Uh, the New York Hilton Midtown is the largest hotel in New York City. It has nearly 2,000 rooms. And starting in August, they will be discontinuing room service. Uh, and as a result of that, they will be cutting 55 jobs. I was a little blown away by this story for two reasons. One, the so- the fact that it is the largest hotel that is doing this, which, and we can get into the ripple effects in a moment. Um, but two, the fact that room service is not nearly the money maker that I thought it was. Um, and Jason, you were saying before we were taping that it, it, this did not surprise you at all. No, and I, th- I mean, I think what it didn't su- surprise me at all. I mean, when I I was before I came to the fool, I was in the golf business uh, many many years ago. I worked in the club uh, business at as a golf professional at a country club in Savona Park, Maryland. And the club there, you know, they ran their food and beverage operation as a break-even sort of status. You could see where the food essentially was just an, it was a value add. It was an add-on for the members to have. And typically your food and the food and beverage uh, equation is is at best a break-even. It's just it's a tough business to begin with. You see something like a Whole Foods, for example. That's why they run those razor-thin margins. Um so that that's not terribly surprising to see. It's just, you know, I don't know that people go to a hotel necessarily because they have room service. Now, granted, this is the biggest hotel in New York, I think, right? So yeah. that's significant. But, you know, by the same token, we've seen a lot of cost cutting here over the past five years. A lot of companies trying to figure out how to how to squeeze a little bit more uh, blood from that stone, so to speak. And uh, this is just another example of that. That's true. I mean, now if you want your towels changed, you have to kind of elect for that. Right. Yeah, they put the signage and up in there. So now no more room service. Mm-hmm. What's next? They'll, they'll change the sheets just once a week, <laughs> whoever comes and goes, maybe. We were thinking about vacuuming your room, but <laughs> um, if you are Marriott, if you are Intercontinental, um, aren't aren't you 
thinking very seriously about making this same move? Uh, again, this is not some little boutique hotel. This is the largest hotel in New York City. And maybe it's the kind of thing that you can only do in large cities, because certainly in a place like New York, you can say to the people staying at your hotel, look, you can get food anywhere at this hour, regardless I- of the hour. But I don't know. This This seems like a pretty, uh, in some ways... A pretty simple, singular move that hotel companies can make that will contribute pretty significantly to the bottom line. It sounds like that that's what's occurring slowly. Hilton did it, or is doing it. The Grand Hyatt reduced room service. And as a way to save money, so what the Hilton is doing is simply they'll have a grab-and-go cafe downstairs. So you can still go and pick up food. There's a There's a hotel in Chicago, I'm just reading about right now, that... I love this. They replaced room service with a brown paper bag delivery. That's simply the paper bags left outside your nice. your door. But it, so you're still offering food. Sounds classic. Yeah, like Very classic. Light it on fire in their prank or something like that. that there is. With but you are. I don't know how much money you're saving. Jason. Jason said it's break even. So I guess you're saving a bit. But in the Hilton's case, they're they're letting go. Unfortunately, of 55 people. It mm. doesn't sound like that many people for a company that size. But I guess if you do that per hotel, it adds up. So yeah, it's short answer, which is impossible now. Is room service maybe going the way of you know? dial-up phones eventually. But, I mean, I, you have to believe there's going to be a hotel chain out there that tries to play the opposite side of this coin, kind of like uh, Southwest did with, with checking bags, right? I mean, Southwest bucked the trend and said, hey, you still get your bags checked for free, or at least right. first bag checked for free, and, and there's going to be some chain out there that says, hey, we still have room service, right? I mean, whether it's a comfort inn or something, and obviously depends on location, because a lot of these comfort inns and things like that, for example, are in areas where maybe there's not you know, a slew of restaurants right. nearby other than a McDonald's. But I, I have to believe with a Hilton, you're not going to have trouble finding a place to eat around the hotel. Yeah, and part of the reason they're doing it is demand is just not there. Yep. Not that much demand. All right, we will wrap up there. One more plug. Check out optionswiz.com. Uh, Jeff, I'll give you the last 30 seconds just to uh, talk about the options service and, and sort of uh, how it's 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 been going well Great. for the last so, few years. Yeah, Jim Gillies and I are co-advisors. We've both been using options for more than a dozen years, and Motley Fool Options launched in 2009. Since we opened our doors nearly four years ago, uh, 95% of our investments have closed profitably. So of our 77... That's a nice track record. 77 recommendations <laughs> have been closed, and 73 have made money. So we're very proud of it. Motley Fool Options is a sensible, foolish way to use options to make income to increase your returns to protect or hedge yourself alongside inside your stock portfolio. So we use options foolishly alongside foolish stocks. And definitely check it out at optionswiz.com. We're only open a couple days. We will close there. Jeff Fisher, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.